All right. Uh, Mike's not here, but this is Drew, and this is Mike and Drew at Mountain View. Um, and today we have a special guest because Mike's not here. This is uh, Clint Burnett. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here, a beautiful view. It's actually a little cold. It's not it a beautiful cold. day. I did not enjoy it today. Really? I love the cold. <laughs> the drive was nice, though. Drive was nice. The mountains are so beautiful. I love coming in and seeing them. It makes me always want to move out here every time I come out this way. We're kind of in the middle of nowhere. I know. I'd love to be in the middle of nowhere. It's it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> um. So what do you do? You have like, what, 17 jobs? Yeah, maybe 18. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, Originally, uh, I trained to be a historian of early Christianity, so I got a PhD in New Testament uh, from Boston College with a minor in Old Testament, Um, and that's become my passion because I don't do that full-time. I teach part-time at at Johnson when I can, uh, write and publish. I'm in the process of editing. Getting, I got my first uh, round of edits for my third book, which is exciting. That'll be published by Erdman's uh, 2024 I think that's when uh, they think the book will be out. And so I, I do that. Um, I'm also a uh, part-time priest at my local Anglican church called Old North Abbey in Knoxville, Tennessee. And then full-time, uh, I basically am an advisor uh, on the financial side of things, uh, mainly working with uh, pastors and churches and nonprofits, encouraging them to be good stewards of what God's blessed them with. That's so crazy. Like <laughs> any one of those things would be a full-time job and you do all of them. Oh, I don't get much sleep. <laughs> so um, today we're going to talk about Philippians, the book of Philippians, because okay. that's your area of expertise. It is. Um, and so we had the question come in. It was actually my wife's idea. The context of, I believe it's Philippians 4.13, mm-hmm. I can do all things through him. Who strengthens me mm-hmm. and this is one that's very often taken out of context mm-hmm. actually i have a story my middle school and high school math teacher mm-hmm. would put this verse at the top of all of our math tests <laughs> mrs morrison if you're listening i love you i appreciate all you've done but that was definitely taken out of context so what what can you give for us that kind of grounds that a little more because obviously you can't do all things. So what, what does that really mean? Sure, yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, this is in a section of Philippians. It's almost like a thank you note uh, to the Philippians who have sent aid to Paul time and time again. And so uh, he's in prison as he is writing. I uh, don't know exactly where. Uh, some people hypothesize Rome. Um, some people uh, more recently hypothesize an Ephesian imprisonment that Luke does not record in Acts. Um, I tend to fall towards that latter camp, just making things feasible, the number of trips back and forth that the letter presupposes. And so this is sort of a thank you note that Paul sort of writes at the end of the letter because most people don't understand that uh, prison in antiquity was not meant as a rehabilitation place. So Mm -hmm. it's not a place that you went to be rehabilitated. It's a place you went before you went to trial and then... You know, you usually find or you were usually you know, sent, sentenced to death or sent to a mine or something like that. So it's not a place of punishment. And so you are responsible for um, basically feeding yourself 
um, and everything associated with it. So you have to keep yourself up. The government doesn't do that for you in the first century. And so the Philippians have sent aid to Paul wherever he is imprisoned. And so at this section of the letter where that verse that's taken out of context so often appears is in the middle of a thank you note that mm-hmm. Paul is talking about his experience as a prisoner where he is uh, basically at the whims of other people to support him at that point in time because he cannot work with his hands um, as a tent maker to uh, generate any income. So he needs some people to help him. And so basically verses 10 through 20 is almost, it's just a thank you note. And so with that in mind, um, he's basically writing, uh, the main thrust is to talk about how the fact that it doesn't matter what situation he finds himself in, that he is grateful and he can tackle whatever situation that he's there, um, whether that be specifically in the context of this particular part, being in verse 12, uh, he knows how to be humbled, he knows how to abound. Um, he's been initiated into all things. And that word initiate that Paul uses in verse 12 is a technical term for initiation into what we call mystery cults in the first century. You know, it's a special arcane knowledge that you received and you're initiated into this God's cult. And so Paul sort of uses that term to say, similarly, any situation that I can face, I've been initiated into that situation. And the reason I have is because it keeps everything into perspective, uh, that everything is all about the gospel and everything is all about living life for the glory of the triune God. And so that's sort of where this verse appears in the midst of this discussion about him being fed and being hungry and abounding, that I can do all things through Christ Mm -hmm. who strengthens me or through him who strengthens me, actually. So he's not talking about the fact that he can win a football game. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) He's not talking about the fact that he can, you know, score a really high grade on a math test. What he's talking about is the fact that regardless of whatever situation, whether that is freedom or whether that's in prison, whether that's being fed or not being fed. And mm-hmm. he's very hyperbolic at the same time. Paul mm-hmm. loves to be hyperbolic, but it's basically that whatever situation he has, he can get through it because he keeps everything into perspective with God on his side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, walking into a situation where knowing that God has walked before you mm-hmm. and he knows what you're about to go through and knows that you're going to be okay on the other end, or maybe not, Mm -hmm. but that is his will, you know? Mm -hmm. That's so good. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even think about it that way. I mean, I knew it was more like that, but in the context of him being in prison and Mm -hmm. having to go hungry sometimes, Mm -hmm. that's that's so good. Oh, yeah. He talks about, I know how to hunger, I know how to uh, bound. He's experienced all that before, and so Mm -hmm. it it doesn't matter. Uh, He's in prison for the gospel and for... God's glory, and that's the only thing that really matters. Mm-hmm. I think about that that passage that Paul writes. I don't remember where it is, but where he talks about how oh he's been through all these different things. He's been naked. He's mm-hmm. been hungry. He's been mm-hmm. what, what is that verse? Second uh, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter eleven, I think it is off the top of my head. Maybe twelve. I um, need to study the Bible more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just that Paul's been through all these different things. He's mm-hmm. lived such a a difficult life, and yet like. God prepared him for the difficult life. You know, mm-hmm. he's he was a scholar of the Old Testament before he was a Christian, mm-hmm. and that that brings so so much wisdom into his situation. And that he he knew God in a way before he knew Jesus, mm-hmm. but then Jesus kind of completed the picture for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. All right. Where else should we go with this? What else? What else do you have? Well, it's also important that. Um, 
Paul says this in verse 13, uh, but he also says it as the preface for his discussion of the thank you for the gift that he's received from the Philippians. So he sort of prefaces this one to make sure that they know he doesn't really need the gift that they gave him. Okay, yeah. Because beginning in verse 14, he talks about how they became a co-partner with him in his tribulation. And this tribulation is the very specific tribulation of being in chains, um, and that they sent to him uh, time and time again, basically, to partner with him in giving of money so that they could support his mission work specifically in Thessalonica and in Macedonia and other places. So he just wants to make sure that Paul is, seems to have, rightly so, because you know we all know being in churches that money we need money to function, we need money to operate, but we mm-hmm. don't want money to become an idol. Right. And so there's always this kind of weird thing about money. You know, you find the the business meetings at churches are always kind of <laughs> weird. Yeah, I mean, we had a board meeting last night, and we talked a little bit about money, and it's like, how do we best, um, you know, work with the the money that we have? You know, mm-hmm. we have three separate accounts and last night we actually decided to merge two of the accounts because mm-hmm. we just don't really use this other account so mm-hmm. we're just going to have this other one eat it mm-hmm. and just how do we how do we go about doing that mm-hmm. well and, and stewarding our money well mm-hmm. yeah absolutely have you ever spoken at a church and uh, or done anything at a church and they've come and you got the guy that's got the check and he's trying to pay you but he doesn't want anybody to see that he's paying you so he kind of clandestinely kind of slips it in your hand at at this church i receive a physical paycheck every yeah. sunday so that yeah. actually happens every sunday yeah <laughs> yeah cuz we have this weird thing about money so paul wants to make sure that that he know that the philippians know it's not about the money it's about the intent and yeah. the fact that they're partnering with him which includes a financial component yeah I mean, a, a huge one because he needs to eat any needs to live, but it, it's all for God's glory, and that's kind of where the rest of the passage goes uh, from verse 14 and and onward. So he wants to make sure that God is the one who gets the glory behind all of this and even counts their gift to him as a sweet-smelling offering, uh, acceptable sacrifice that's actually pleasing to God. Yeah. I mean, I see there in verse 17, it says, not that I seek the gift, but mm-hmm. I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. Mm-hmm. And then the first part of verse 18 there, I've been paid in full and have mm-hmm. more than enough. I'm fully satisfied. Mm-hmm. So it just, he again, he doesn't need the gift that they're giving, but mm-hmm. he's so appreciative of it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've in that position, I certainly would be that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd probably be a little more worried in his position. But. Sure, I would be too. I probably wouldn't be writing a letter to a congregation that I founded um, yeah. concerned about you know, what they're doing. I'd be more concerned about me and probably freaking out the fact yeah. that I'm in prison. So I think that in and of itself is a pretty uh, amazing thing. Uh, but it's interesting that, you know, Paul keeps everything into perspective. Yeah. He always has a perspective of the end, sort of the telos, the yeah. goal of life. Um, and sort of thinks about, if you want to think about like this, he always has new creation in mind. New creation's always in front of him, like the fulfillment of everything God is doing through Christ and through the Spirit. And so that's kind of how he can keep money in perspective, that he can see the end. And so that's where he's he's headed, and the money helps get there because it helps spread the gospel and those right, types of things. Right. And so it's a really healthy perspective, focus really on the telos and the goal of mm-hmm. ex- existence and what the world's moving towards. Yeah, I wonder if, actually, I know that that's something that churches need, you know? Mm-hmm. We, we need to have a bigger perspective mm-hmm. looking at the timeline. You know, I used to have a uh, my Spanish teacher in high school, actually, um, had this illustration that 
there'd be this long rope mm-hmm. and this is this is all of the timeline mm-hmm. and then she like took a little highlighter and highlighted like an inch of the rope and mm-hmm. that's that's your life on the rope mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and just keeping that perspective in mind and i i just remember that was very powerful for me as a high schooler thinking oh like this this really doesn't matter my my test grade next week really doesn't matter you know whoever mm-hmm. girl i was pursuing that doesn't mm-hmm. matter you know mm-hmm. um, because the world and the the timeline of life is so much bigger than that it's so much bigger mm-hmm. than me and i think that's how paul can keep that selflessness he's mm-hmm. not focused on himself he's he's focused on the people around him the the people who he has talked to in the past that he's concerned about and wants mm-hmm. them to grow in the midst of what seems like crisis. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. Like when you have the end in mind, that helps you put everything into perspective. And that's one of the problems that I think our culture faces right now is everyone lives in the moment. Yeah. No one thinks about the future. Yeah. I saw a study the other day in the Wall Street Journal um, about how for the first time in a long time, parents think the future is going to be, they're more pessimistic about the future for their kids than they ever have been in, in the history of the 20th century. Most people think their kids are going to be better off yeah. for the first time. And I think that's in large part to the fact that we, as a culture, we live in the moment here and now, yeah. what matters for us, what feels good. And that is so anti-Christian. And the gospel is so countercultural to that, that we have to have the goal in mind, whether that be every soon as we wake up in the morning, but everything is going towards that goal, even the Lord's Supper, yeah. even communion, right? You, you get the idea of you remember what's past, what's present, and you do this until the Lord comes. So you think mm-hmm. about the future too. And so having that always before you, I think that's one of the things that guided Paul in all the decisions that he made. Yeah. Um, and I think if we could adopt that more as a church, uh, and as a culture, we'd be a lot better off thinking about the future than just about how I get mine right now. Yeah, that's so interesting because I've I've been guilty of like, oh, you know, we really need to. I really need to be present in the moment. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, there's there's value to that. But mm-hmm. being present in the moment while keeping in mind what is to come. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting about the the fact that parents are more pessimistic than mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. A, a disillusionment of. Mm-hmm of culture. And mm-hmm. I mean, we see it all around us. There's, mm-hmm. there's all these things. I mean, there was a, a mass shooting on, on mm-hmm. Monday. Yeah. That's so nuts that these things around us are happening and it's so easy to get discouraged. And I mean, I was discouraged. I was like, Oh man, like what, what do you do from that? You know, where do you go from there? But keeping the end in mind and keeping in mind that Jesus has gone before us mm-hmm. and therefore you can do all things through mm-hmm. Christ who strengthens you. Right. Yeah. The victory's already been won. We're just sort of. I like the V Day D Day uh, analogy. Uh, I forgot what New Testament scholar was the first one. He's a French guy. His name slips in my mind, um, but uh, it'll come to me at a later time. But <laughs> he has this really. Uh, it's been helpful for me to think about it as far as you know. Essentially, when D Day happened and when the Allies in World War II invaded France mm-hmm. and invaded the Nazi-occupied territory. At that point, the battle was over, but we still had to get to V-Day. They had to make it all the way to Berlin. And so for, for us, he sort of compares the Christian life to that. Uh, the the victory's already been won. We're just waiting for the consummation of that victory to happen. We're waiting for V-Day to, to take place, but our D-Day is already 
happened. The victory is secure. Now we're just kind of waiting there. And that's the, the two poles that we live between this yeah. D-Day and this V-Day. And, when and you, it's hard work to get through that. Yeah, it's yeah, super hard, hard work. Uh, but funneling everything through V-Day, I mean, you get to see what really matters. And so to me, it helps me actually live, I think it helps one live in the present better because you can see what really matters at the end is going to be, did I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind? Did I love mm-hmm. my neighbor as myself? What did I do to help spread the gospel and mm-hmm. participate in the uh, in God's kingdom? In the here and now, it's not what kind of car did I drive? It's not where did I live or what my house looked like or where did my kids go to school, where they get into college, all those things like that. That is really immaterial at the end of the day. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. And then you, you go back to this this war imagery. You know, a soldier on D-Day is not worried about what his hair looks like or mm-hmm. um, even what's for dinner that night. Right. He is focused on pushing forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, oh, that's such good imagery. I'm going to mm-hmm. use that. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to be a sermon illustration. Well, I mean, battle imagery is all throughout Paul's Absolutely. Uh, epistles. You know, that or uh, an athletic contest. Mm-hmm. A race, which was super huge in the first century. It's when mm-hmm. everybody went. Um, it was the SEC football, if you wish, uh, or the uh, uh, March Madness, if you want to think about it, of, <laughs> yeah. of the first century. Everyone loved going to games. I love seeing these competitions. And so, I mean, Paul always talks about the Christian life. Not always, but frequently makes allusions to the Christian life being a battle and the mm-hmm. Christian life being a sign of a kind of race or you're an athlete in a competition. Because both of those things require hard work. Mm-hmm. One of my first sermons ever, I preached about me being a football player and how that was a, a complete life change from mm-hmm. sitting on the couch playing video games. Mm-hmm. I changed how I ate. I changed what I did in my free mm-hmm. time. I changed mm-hmm. you know, all these different things so that I could be the best football player I could. Mm-hmm. And I was not a good football player, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, putting in the work every single day because it is a battle every single day and it is a competition every single day work to push forward, pressing on toward the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're coming up on time. Do you have a, a, a last idea that we want to end with? I hope people read Philippians 4.13 differently now. <laughs> uh, I hope people understand the context and are able to then translate it into our modern context maybe a little more faithfully to yeah. what Paul intended than just I want to do it make an A on a math test or I'm going to be able to get this job promotion or <laughs> all these things that yeah. really don't matter at the end of the day. Or get all this money or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, this has been not Mike, but Drew at Mountain View. Um if you have any questions or comments or suggestions, you can email us at podcast at MVCC the number six mile dot org and uh that's really all we got eat your vegetables